Good morning. Thank you, Pastor Tim, for saying good morning back. I appreciate that very much. Anybody else awake? Okay, some of you have had coffee and some of you, okay, you're ready to go. All right. Well, we've been taking a series and a dive into looking at dumb things smart Christians do. Interesting title. Very fascinating. Because I don't know how you are, but... If I didn't know better, I could easily get insulted by that comment. Don't say amen. That's okay. That's fine. You don't want to do that right now. But, you know, it'd be easy to come along because I don't, neither want to be classified as doing something dumb. However, I do like to be a smart Christian. But putting those together kind of makes you begin to feel like, but the reality is we do. And over the years of my experience with people, there have been many times where I've had people that come along, and that's exactly what they do. And they come along, and they come into my office, and they'll sit down and begin to share their story of what's going on, what's happening, what's taking place in their lives. And inside, I'm very careful with this, but inside I'm thinking, How stupid can you get? But outside, I'm smiling and warmly embracing them. Now, don't feel awkward if you ever come and talk to me and all, because nobody will want to now, for sure, and all. But, you know, there's just some of those things. But I have to look at myself at times, and I realize, Gary, that was kind of a really dumb thing you just did. That's a dumb thing you just said. And even with God and Christianity and my walk with the Lord and things like that, there are times where those kind of things happen. And it's an interesting thing of how do you recover? You begin to come along and admit, first of all, and then you got to come and begin to realize, Lord, I need you more than I need whatever else is going on around me. I need you. And we're going to look at a story in just a moment about a man, you can turn over to John 5 if you want to and uh, join with us there. But let me give you the title for this morning. It's very simple. I can't. You ever had the child come up to you, maybe you did in your home like I did, and uh, now grandkids that come along and say, I can't tie my shoes, even though they're Velcro. And, uh, you know, it's like, I can't do it, you know, or it's the the thing that seems to be very simple, like a very simplified puzzle that's for small children. I I can't do it. I can't do it. And there's just that sense of foreboding and that reality of even though I haven't tried, I still can't. And there's that sense. And it's fascinating to me how many times I say a similar thing back with God. God, I I, I can't do that. I can't handle that. I can't deal with that. And there's another word we'll look at in a moment that is more reality than I can't. And we begin to examine some of those things. Or we may come along and we say, well, I've never done that before. So I can't do it. Listen. Listen. I'll, I'll tell you very honestly, I, I grew up in a home that uh, it, it wasn't really kosher 
to come and say, I can't, let's find a way. And so I grew up in a home like that. And so becoming an adult and getting out on my own, there was a lot of things and moments and times where it looked like, I don't know how to do this. You know, it's 10 o'clock at night and I'm on the floor in the bathroom trying to fix the toilet. And it ain't working. It's still leaking. So what am I going to do? Well, there's no place to go, nobody to call, nobody's going to come out and fix it. And it's kind of an essential tool in the home to have available to people. And you know, kind, of, kind of essential there. And how many times I've turned back to say, God, I don't know how to do it. Would you help me? And I could go on with story after story after story. I'd never torn apart a car before and had a uh, Ford Torino and uh, tore apart the engine because it wasn't quite working the way it was supposed to. I didn't know what I was doing. I tried to get a book. You know, that was before uh, these things, okay, and it was before that other thing that you sit in front of and type on and all that. Didn't have those things. I know I'm old. I realize that very well. Uh, thank you. Um, and, but I just sat there and I said, God, I don't know how to put which, which what wire was it that went here and, and which uh, uh, thing that was supposed to be here and which bolt do I use? You know, and I'm sitting there and honestly, I'm just saying, God, how do I put this engine back together? And you say, well, Gary, that wasn't real smart for you to tear it apart. We didn't know how to put it back together. Well, that's another story anyway in that. Or people come along oftentimes and they say, you know, something just happened and I just couldn't do it. Or we may blame it on a particular uh, type of thing that's in our bodies or our, our, our minds or souls or something like that. People say, well, you know, you just have to understand, I've got ADHD. Okay. All right. And we try to look at a variety of things to say, I can't. I am always challenged when I talk along these lines about a young man who was in one of the churches where he pastored. He, was, uh, <clears throat> he wasn't born blind, but he became blind after his eye was uh, hit due to a corner of a coffee table. And uh, he ended up going blind, both eyes. And uh, that, that guy was no more handicapped than most of you. Since I don't know you all, I don't know your dimension of handicap. But anyway, um, but I mean, he played the piano. He went to school. He got a master's degree. He became a teacher. He got married. He had children. His wife was blind, by the way, too. Their children were not. And he just began to go on and on. And you look at this guy and you say, you know, when you get that temptation of saying, I can't. And I think of him, and I'm thinking, oh, shut up. You know, just, <laughs> that's a stupid thing to say. Or here's one. I love this one. You know how we sometimes come along, some of us kind of the over 60 crowd. See how I lift you out, Pastor, uh, on that one. But, and, they'll, and we'll say something like, you can't teach old dogs what? 
new tricks. Yeah, 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 yeah. That, that's my excuse. That's my reason. You know, I'm just kind of over the hill. So I just, that's my reason for saying I can't. Well, when people come to me and they begin to share about the things they can't do, I begin to ask, what's the circumstance surrounding it? How did you get here? What's going on? What have you really tried? Uh, how has it worked out for you? And things like that. And then I have a final question, and we'll get to that question in a few minutes. But I want to turn over to John chapter 5 and quickly just look at um, a man that's come along here who said, I can't. The setting is Jerusalem, and it's the northern part of Jerusalem. Do we, happen, do we have that map there? Would you mind putting that up? Thank you. And uh, where Jesus came in is the northern part up there. Do you see the uh, pool of Bethesda? That's about the area. There was a crowd of people all around this thing. And they believed very firmly that when the waters got moving all around them, the first person into the water, it all would be healed of their illness. So you had all kinds of people around this whole area. It's quite a large area. If you've been to Israel, you can see where it's at. And uh, it's quite a large area. Uh, facility. And it's fascinating to me that Jesus comes along and he picks out one man, one place, one moment to begin to minister to this man. And we pick it up in, in, in the uh, fifth verse and it says, now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. We don't know if he was 38 years old or he'd had it from birth. We don't know if it was along the way. We don't know all the circumstances. Neither do we know how long was he at the pool itself. How long had he been waiting? Evidently, it had been some period of time at least. And he had been there and he comes along and he's just sitting there waiting for the opportunity for the waters to get all churned up and he's going to jump in the, in the pool. And he tried time and time and time and time again to no avail for him. And now Jesus comes, verse 6, and it says, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already had been in that condition a long time. Let me pause there. How did Jesus know that? Jesus knew that by revelation of the Spirit of God to him. And the Lord began to give him understanding that this man you're going to encounter right here in this pool at this time on this day, and he is going to be, have been in that condition for 38 years. So it's very interesting how God's very, very specific about what he does. So it's no accident, perhaps, in our lives when we have an encounter with somebody that we didn't plan on having an encounter with. And God brings us in connection with someone and we walk into the situation and here we are and it's like, okay God, what did you see me doing? <laughs> what did you see me accomplishing with this moment? Going on in the verse it says, Jesus said to him, do you want to be made well? Now that almost seems like a ridiculous question to ask, but it's very legitimate. When you've been in this condition for this long, you almost get comfortable. Yeah. Now let that settle into your thinking with me. Because oftentimes as Christians, we become very comfortable with where we're at. 
even if it isn't always to the best, healthiest position that we should be in. But we get comfortable there, and we just kind of settle in and just kind of, well, this is the way it is. It's interesting when we come along and we sing, he's the way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper. How, how far does that go into our lives and into our hearts? Well, Jesus asked him the question, here, let me use my imagination, if you will, for a moment. This guy has likely talked with a lot of people over the years. And as he's sitting there, it's just one more person kind of asking a dumb question to him. And his response, and I can almost see him in my mind, likely just keeping his head down. And he just turns back, and in the New Living Translation, it puts this way, I can't, sir. I can't. Likely didn't know, you know, he likely did not know who this was in front of him. He may have heard things about a guy named Jesus, a rabbi that was teaching and things like that, but he didn't know who this person was. He says, I can't. And then he gives a reason why. As he goes on and says, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. And immediately, the man was made, excuse, excuse me, Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed, and walk. I love Jesus who doesn't deal with our issues, but he takes care of the issue. See, he doesn't deal with the man's questions, and he doesn't deal with the I can't. He comes along and simply says, rise up, take up your bed and rise up and walk. Get going, guy. It's your, this is your day, your time. And can you imagine the moment when something like that takes place, when you've been sitting there for we don't know how long, and day after day after day after day, disappointment after disappointment, moment after moment of agony in your mind, will I always be this way? Will this never change? Will nothing ever uh, be changed into my life is it always going to be this bad so not only the physical healing the emotional and the mental healing that needed to take place in a man in a moment that began to minister into his life and his response was i can't but it's fascinating how quickly i can't changed to getting up off of his mat, picking it up, and starting to walk away. <laughs> it's fascinating. Fascinating. But he makes the response, and he turns, and he begins to do what Jesus had told him to do. You know, he comes along and says, nobody will help me. You ever been in that position? In life? And even as Christians sometimes, we can feel like, well, nobody cares. Nobody loves me. Nobody wants to help me. Nobody understands. Nobody wants to understand. On and on we can go. It's a little bit like my, my granddaughter comes along and says, I can't tie my shoes. You know, and we, we sometimes, even as Christians, and I'm not trying to put anybody down by this. I'm just trying to illustrate something to us of a mindset we have where we come along and we get this image like, I can't because I can't. 
and we're looking at who we are and what I can or cannot do. And we begin to try to live out our lives. Besides, nobody wants to help me. Other people always beat me to the pool. God, why did they get the breaks? Why were they healed? God, why did they get the promotion into the job? Why did you give them the $10,000, God? And on and on we could go illustrate with different things in life. And we come along and say, that's just not fair, God. Why didn't I? You know, I deserve this just as good. I read my Bible. I pray. I go to church. I even put a couple bucks in the offering blade. Come on, God, get with it. And we can feel as though that tug and pull inside of what do we believe concerning it. Now, let me put a disclaimer in here for those of you that will want to write me or talk to me afterwards. Let me throw the disclaimer out here. I do understand that many of us have points of limitation that are real. Okay, I, I get that. Listen, I, I, I live with grandkids that have a variety of different behavioral and such limitations in their lives. I get that. We work with that within our family and structure. We don't put them down. We love them, and we, but we encourage them to rise to their full potential and the greatness of what they can do. And so it's not a put down. Those of us who struggle in physical things, you know, I, I'm there. There's things physically that I struggle with and all in my body. I'm not putting people down about those kind of things. But there's a difference between struggling with a limitation and coming along and outrightly saying, I can't. That makes sense? You know, just kind of wave at me a little bit like you're still awake. Good, thank you. Appreciate that. Didn't bore you completely yet. But you know, there's a lot of times along with those things come shame and embarrassment and a sense of uncertainty about what will people respond or how will people respond to me if they know what's really going on in my life. And let me say this very simply, and I'll move on real quickly because there's much to cover yet. But church needs to be a safe place. Now, that means a variety of things to different people here, okay? So let me define what I mean. What I mean by that is people need to be free enough to be who they are, struggling with what they're struggling with, and still be able to walk into church, and we don't look at them any differently than we look at anybody else. But we seek to come alongside of them and love them, care for them, minister to them, pray for them, stand beside them so they don't feel as though I don't have anybody to get me into the pool. But we love them through the things that they may be struggling and walking through. Listen, I've sat with people with such a wide array of different things in their lives that they're dealing with. I had somebody recently that I was talking to, and, and they said, I, I, I'm sure, Gary, that you, you, you've likely never heard what I'm going to tell you about. And in my mind, I'm thinking only about 10 or 20 times, maybe. But uh, I didn't say that out loud, you know. I can, I can be cool at times, okay? I'm, just, I'm not always that way. But uh, 
And they begin to share what was going on in their lives. And in my mind, I'm thinking, yeah, I remember so-and-so and this person and that person. Yeah, I, we dealt with that there and so forth. Never said any of that, of course, to him. But I just simply said, well, let's see what we can do. And we just began to go to the word of God. We began to go to God. We began to pray with one another and began just to do. That's what church does, yes. folks. That's what we do. We love people through their limitation. We love them through what they're dealing with. We love them through the things that seem to overwhelm them, overcome them. We walk them through. That's what we do with church. And because of that, people get whole. They become healed. They become restored. They become saved. They become filled with the Spirit of God. They are enabled to become the people God intends for them to be with all of their lives and in every way because we simply choose to love them anyway. By the way, isn't it interesting? The very thing that other people need is the very thing you and I need. And it's the very thing we need to give them. Love them through. Jesus loved through this man. Another little thing I want you just to notice in here, in Jesus' style of ministry in this situation, he never prayed for the man. Now I'll let you know on that. You can, you can kind of probe that over in your heart and mind a little bit more later on. <clears throat> the other thing I want you just to catch is the frame of reference this man had about his life when he says, I can't. Understand his setting from his, his mindset, the way he saw things was, I can't, and he had the reasons we've already mentioned, but he was set in that mindset. This is the way it is for me. You don't get it, Jesus, or whoever you are. You, you, you don't understand I, I, I'm this way. Church, let's be very careful when we deal with God and we try to use that same reasoning with him. Because sometimes we want to convince God that we're right because of our position, because of our point of view, and the way we see it, that we have to be right. It couldn't be all of the story at all. God couldn't have another way of looking at things because we're right. Now, I'm mocking a little bit, I confess. But I just want us to catch how sometimes we do that with God. Rather than coming along and say, yes, Lord, whatever you would have, whatever you want, whatever you want me to do, however you need me to respond, God, I'm willing to respond in that way and follow through with what you want me to do. And it's learning to step out and trust him that he may know more than we do. Just maybe, just maybe God knows a little bit more than we do. And we begin to respond to it. And last with this man, he says that he wanted to minister to this man, spirit, soul, and body. Where do we need God to do that in us in this season of our lives right now? In our spirit, our soul, our body? Where do we need the Lord just to be invited in, just to begin to consistently, as we were seeing a moment ago, to begin to do his work? I want to look at three men very, very quickly. And you'll say, oh, that'll be a challenge. You're right, but I'll do it. 
And uh, I want to talk about two men that encountered God, or three men, excuse me. Two of them turned out really well. The third one did not. And it all had to do with, I can't. The first one, Old Testament, chapter 3 and 4 of Exodus, Moses, he was convinced that he was the wrong man for the job. God comes along and says, I'm calling you to take my people out of Egypt. So, yeah, I could almost imagine Moses, 80 years old, and uh, he's coming along. <laughs> Let me give you my, my, my reasons here. I, you know, God, yeah, that's almost funny, but I know it wouldn't be respectful to laugh in your presence. But, you know, it's, here's my reasons. So let me just quickly offer them to you. In chapter 3 and verse 11, Moses says, You have the wrong guy, God. Maybe you don't know about my history. I killed a guy in Egypt, and then I ran away. Just in case you didn't know that, God, just want you to know. In chapter uh, 3 and verse 13, he says, that didn't work with, with God, by the way. And he comes along and says, God, I really need to know your passport because I've got to tell those people, I'm, I'm going to go over there, I've got to tell them who you are. Which is an interesting statement because it gives us a clue here. Moses wasn't entirely sure who he was talking to. Or what he was like. May I suggest to us, let's be careful and remember who we're talking to sometimes in our prayers. He is God. And he knows you and me far better than we do. He really does. But he wanted to know God's character. Scripture tells us in Psalm 103 that Moses learned his character. Israel saw what he did, and Moses learned his character. God answered that prayer and that statement. In chapter 4, verse 1, it says, the people may not believe what I'm saying. That sounds like a great reason. Why should I go and do all of this? They won't believe me. that godly and spiritual? And verse 10 of chapter 4, he says, what about the fact that I don't, don't, don't talk, talk, talk very, very good, good, good? What about that, God? Will that work? You know, that'll get me off, you know, get me scot-free here from having to fulfill this obligation. And of course, again, in all of these, God is saying, no, 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 we'll do this, we'll handle this way. And finally, Maybe out of desperation, Moses finally says in verse 13 of chapter 4, he says, would you just send somebody else? I don't want to go. I love God's response to that. You know what he does? He doesn't even answer Moses. He just simply says, Moses, as I was saying, when you get to Egypt, here's what I want you to do. And I love God for that because... Some things he just recognizes, that is a dumb thing to say. And I'm not going to gratify it with a response to it. I'm just going to reiterate what I want you to do. Now let's get going and do it. And sometimes God does that with us. Not out of spite, not out of meanness. But he says, I got a job for you. Let's quit debating this. 
Let's do it. And let's get about, as Jesus would say, about my father's business and fulfill what he calls her to do. It's an interesting thing because I offer a remedy for each one of these that I think is correlates with it. And the remedy for Moses is know who God is. And guess what? The best way to get to know who God is is this. Get into the word. If you don't have a regular reading plan or program that you're doing and all, forgive me, why not? Get into the word. And we have such advantages today. You know, I can get on my, on my iPad the word of God. I can have it read to me. I don't even have to use my brain here to read. You know, I can have it read to me. There's no excuse for us not allowing the word of God to penetrate into our hearts and into our minds and affecting how we live out our lives, folks. Get to know who God is. And if you're new to the Lord, you're new in your walk with God, let me suggest to you one of two places to start. One would be the book of Psalms. And the reason why is Psalms is so relatable in the fact that David, who authors many of the Psalms, that he offers us some brutal reality of life and living. He shares his emotions, he shares his heart, he shares his misgivings and so forth, and you'll be able to relate with it. But he never allows himself to stay there. He continuously goes back to say, but you're the answer, God. You're the help. The other place is in the Gospel of Mark. Gospel of Mark is uh, the first gospel that was written in the, in the Gospels. And it is, contains very simply the life of Jesus in very simple form and over, overview of it. And it's a good place to start to find out who is Jesus. So you can begin to get into that. The second character is a man named Jeremiah. In chapter 1 and verse 4 to 10, Jeremiah is called to go and speak to the people of Judah and Israel and Edom and Ammon and Egypt and Babylon and Philistia and countries all around that whole area when you read the book of Jeremiah and you look at all the things that he was called to go and do. But in chapter one is his calling time. And he says this, he says, God says, I knew you before I formed you. Did you catch that? I knew you before I formed you. How long has God known you? Now let that settle in your thinking, okay? Two, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as my prophet to the nations. Oh, sovereign Lord, I can't speak for you. I'm too young. Oh, that sounds so logical. Isn't it? Too young. I lack experience. I haven't been to Bible college. You know, we could give all the other reasons that might accompany all of those things. The Lord's response is simply this. Don't say, I'm too young. That'll get your attention when God kind of just says, hey, just let it go. Don't. And he goes on and says, for you must go wherever I send you and say whatever I tell you. And he goes on and he touches his mouth and he says, my words are now in your mouth. Wow. But I noticed a couple of things with this guy. 
And I, I see that sometimes because I've had a number of young people come into my office over the years. And Sharon says, you know, I, I kind of feel a little bit like, and they kind of dance around it, finally saying it. Finally, it gets it out there and says, I think God wants me to go in the ministry. I said, oh, great. That's wonderful. I said, so what's your plan? Um, I don't know. Um, well, what do you think that you should do, the next steps you should take? Well, I'm, I'm not really sure. That's why I'm in here and, and all. And um, eventually, I just get back to them and say, you know, you need to ask God what the next step is because I don't know what the next step is for you. We've got examples in Scripture where people did go through some education and gain those things, and I'm all for that. And I'm very much behind it, and I think it's a quality thing to do for people. But not everybody in Scripture was called to go to a Bible college. They got a lot of on-the-job training. Some of them got taken out into a desert and taught right there and shared things with. So to say one size and one way fits everybody is not true. But what is God calling you to do? But he comes along and the Lord speaks to him and says, you know, that don't say that you're too young or you lack experience. <clears throat> but and the other thing that I've heard along this line is, well, Gary, you know, I I have experience to do such and such, but I, I've been doing this for a long time. I, I I I've done my I've done my shot, I've done my thing and all, and it's time for the younger people now to do that. Well, I understand that. Stamina wise, yes, got that. I'm not going to be helping to remodel the church in here and so forth. Some of you younger dudes, you can do it. That's fine. You know, that's not it. I'm going to pray for you and maybe hold the ladder. <laughs> I'm not going to be climbing up there to try to do something and all. But that doesn't excuse me for what God may be calling me to do today. You never outlive the calling of God to your life, which, by the way, everybody sitting here is called by God. You really are. I just happen to be in this dimension or this way, Pastor Tim and I and others, and all that we serve in a pastoral role type of thing, but that doesn't mean that you don't. I got a great friend of mine who went into corporate America <clears throat> after he had responded to the call of God that God had been calling him for about 15 years to go into the ministry, get his pastoral license and all those things, and he did. And almost it seemed like right after that that there comes along a call and he's called into corporate America and he says, now what? He came into my office distressed, saying, what do I do now? I thought God called me to go and pastor. And I said, so what's the problem? He said, well, I'm not pastoring. I said, what do you think pastoring is? And we went through all of that. And I said, could it be that God called you to corporate America where actually he was called into a vice president position in this co company back, uh, back east? And uh, he, God had given him favor. People had already asked him at different functions he'd gone to to pray and to begin to seek him out. I said, could it be that God called you to pastor a company? Could that be? Yeah. 
and into our jobs and our positions that we have? Could it be that God has called us and assigned us into that place for this time, for this season, because he wants us to function in the role of pastoring people, loving them, caring for them, shepherding them, and helping them grow from where they're at to where God wants them to be? Could it be? Well, we begin to respond to that willingly and openly. So I have, a, I have something to share with us that I think helps us when we begin to be tempted to come along and say, well, I'm too young, I just can't do this, I don't have experience. Let me share, and maybe you want to use this. You get it? You cork it. Sometimes, you know, you don't need to come along and explain everything to God. Do you think he doesn't know? You really think he doesn't know your circumstance? You really think he's come along? And forgive me, this sounds very, very irreverent, but do you really think God's that stupid? I don't mean that to insult anyone. I'm just simply wanting us to think in the way we act toward God. And we think as though somehow he just isn't informed. He doesn't know what's going on and what's happening in my life. The third man is out of Luke chapter 18. And he's a rich man. And his problem was, I can't because it costs too much. It costs too much. Scripture comes along and said, once a religious leader asked Jesus the question, now, notice who he is. He's a religious leader. That means he's educated. That means he's gone to the school uh, on the Torah. He has gone and been received education. He could read. He could write, which was not normal in that day and age, okay? But he could. So he's a rather learned person in that day. And he asked Jesus the question, good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered him. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must, commit, you must not commit adultery. You must not murder. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother. And the man replied, I've obeyed all of these commandments since I was young. I'm a really good guy. I really am. At least in my judgment, Jesus responds and he says, there's still one thing you haven't done. Sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Simple instructions, but the next verse is the tragedy. When it says, but when the man heard this, he became very sad, for he was very rich. So what was his problem? I can't because it would mean that I would have to change who I trust in. And I trust in what I have. I trust in what I have. What I can see, what I can feel, what I can touch. That's where my trust is. Interesting thing is... <laughs> Jesus implies in here really what he's done is he's gone against the first commandment. Exodus chapter 20, verse 3. You know what that says? It says, you shall have 
no other gods before me. And so while the man bragged of the fact, said, no, I've, I've been really good. I've been, even since I was young, I was a really good guy. And I've done all the stuff you said. But instead, he had really allowed there to be created into his life another God that was more important to him than selling all and following Jesus with everything that he had. You know, as I pondered a little bit about this, I thought about it, and I, I was considering in my, my own life, what does that mean to begin to really, um, you know, give God all? And I began to ponder all of that, and I thought, Lord, I need to give you my education. Lord, I need to give you my checkbook. God, I need to, in this wallet, there's a, a bunch of ID things that tell all about who am I. God, that's yours. God, here's my car, my house. Cheers. What is it that, that holds me or tries to hold me back? And then the Lord almost seemed to speak to my heart. He said, there's more. And it's like the Holy Spirit just said, there's one more thing. What you know and believe about who I am, will you lay that down so that I can show you more and I can bring you into something new into your life that doesn't limit you from growing in who I am. Even in our, our lives, in this season of life, we come to the point, like for this man, where we, he really had to come and wholly trust in God always. And that's what God was saying to him. It costs too much. No, you learn to trust in the Lord with everything you have. That's what you do. And the longer you walk with the Lord, the more depth you learn about doing that. And by the way, some of you can look at myself or maybe others and say, well, they've got it easy. They've been walking with God for X number of years and so forth. No, no. There's just much a challenge at this age and this length of time of walking with God as the person that just came to know Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord, folks. It's the same principle is behind it. You need to trust him with all that you have and all that you are. And begin to believe that because you trust in who he is, that he will carry you on and move you on to the next point and the level and aspect that he wants to reveal into your life. Because you do trust him and you let go of more and more and more and more things. Because you realize that they just become things. They don't get you to heaven. They don't begin to pay your way into that. You don't impress really anybody with whatever you may have, who cares? Who really cares? God doesn't. You're really going to stand up to God and say, oh, by the way, God, I, <laughs> let, me, let me show you my degrees. How does that match up with the guy that keeps you breathing every second? How, how does that weigh out against that, see? 
and we begin to come along and begin to realize he is God. It's a verse I want to summarize all of this with, that when we come along with our I can'ts, Paul addresses this in Philippians 4.13. I'm going to read it out of the, another translation, the Amplified, just because it amplifies. But I like some of the wording in here, and it says this. I can do all things which he has called me to do. That's a key statement, by the way. Not everything that we may be doing is something that God's called us to do. Check it out with him. Ask him. And ask the Lord what you're supposed to be doing in this season of life and how and what does it look like. But I can do all things which he has called me to do through him, through Christ, through God's ability, through the work of the Holy Spirit, who strengthens and empowers me to fulfill his purpose. It's not about my endeavors and my goals, my, my things. Man, I'd really like to accomplish this. I want to do that. Listen, I've got those things in my life. Yeah, I'd like to get this done. I'd like to do this. I'd like to go here and so forth like that. But God, I lay it all down. I just lay it all down. It's yours, God. It's yours. If that's what you want for me, praise God. Wonderful. But if it isn't what you want for me, then it's laid down before you. I don't care. And you come to that reality of knowing, I want God's purpose for my life more than anything else in my life. And when you come to that reality, the rest of the verse makes sense. It says, I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. There's a lot of self-sufficient people, but not always based in who Christ is. In other words, I'm saying, I can't, but he can, and I'd like to get in with his, I can, and all rather than my can. Follow that? Don't ask me to repeat it. <laughs> it goes on, it says, I am ready for anything and equal to anything through him who infuses me with inner strength and confidence peace see when you walk that way you live out life that way I can do things because of him I can do it because of who he is I have confidence in him and I have his peace that governs my life my mind my heart and begins enabling me to walk forward in things that I thought I couldn't do that I couldn't say that I couldn't be there I couldn't accomplish that but with him it is possible to do it when I'm walking and doing what he calls me to do and you accomplish those things irregardless of what it appears like around you so let me ask this question what's your can't today what is it and please don't come up and tell me i don't have any because you wouldn't be here you'd be up there <laughs> there's always those things around us there how big they are to us depends upon our relationship and our walking with the lord but what is your can't today that God stands ready to turn into his can? You 
if you're here in this sanctuary or you're in the courtyard out there, let me suggest something to you. You may be here, and we haven't talked a lot along this line, but we kind of skirted it about your relationship with Jesus Christ. That you may be here and you say, Gary, I, I, I hear what you're talking about. I kind of get an idea of it. Somewhat makes sense. It doesn't make sense to me. Perhaps you're here today and you, you just haven't opened up your heart to Jesus Christ and just said, God, I don't understand all this stuff and all this church things and all that stuff, but whatever reality there is to that, I, I need help. I'm not doing real good on my own. I'm not cutting it. Just don't know how to make it through all of the this and that's and the things that go on in my life. I need help. And really, that's the cry out that you do with God. Say, God, I need help. Because I don't know how to run my life myself. I've tried, but really haven't done the best job. Honestly, I need help taking care of my life right now. You may be online with us today. You may be feeling the same thing. And you may be wondering, what do I do? How do I respond? How do I make a, a change? It's very simple. You just acknowledge it. I need help, God. He's listening. Say, so, yeah, well, you know, I've had people come back to me and says, well, I, I really can't because God and I aren't on speaking terms. And my simple response back is say, well, that may be true on your side, but it's not on God's side. He's listening. Because he never stops listening. He's always listening. And if you'll extend yourself out toward God, you'll find him right there. And if that's where you're at today, let me encourage you that you just open up your heart right where you're at. Say, Jesus, I need you as a savior. I need help. I need somebody greater than me to be able to live life the way I'm supposed to. Help me today. And invite him to do it. Invite him to do that very point. Second thing I just want to leave us with is I believe there's a, an interesting thing that God calls us to. He calls us to be all in in our relationship with him. And you may be walking with the Lord for however long, but you might listen this morning, not because of many eloquence that I offer, just maybe something the Holy Spirit just kind of knocking at your heart and just saying, did you hear that? I want to talk to you about some things. I want you to be all in. And I see there's some things there that you're still holding on to. And I want you to let, let go. Trust me. And that might be you this morning. And you might know the Lord, and you're a Christian, and you've got heaven as your home and all those things. But I want to see us grow into the maximum of what we can be in the time that we have here on this earth, in spite of all the junk we have around us right now. And we have plenty of it but to help us walk into the fullness of what he says because, God, I'm all in. I'm all in with you. 
not holding something back. But I'm all in. If that might be you in either one of those areas, I'm going to ask you to do something very bold. And uh, yeah, Lisa, the prayer team can please come on up, you know, for us and join us. But let me ask you to do something very bold. If you're here this morning, you're saying, I need to get my life right with God. Or you're here and says, you know, I want to make a fresh commitment to being all in with God. Here's the bold thing I want you to do. I want you to get up out of your chair right now and just stand up. Say either one of those things this morning. I want to be all in or I want to know where I stand with Jesus Christ. If that's you today, stand up right now. Stand up. Father, as we open our hearts before you, you know our hearts, our lives better than anybody else does. And I invite you, Lord, that as you continue to put on your searchlight into our lives and what it's like, that our response is something that is done to you and you alone. Lord, come and move into our hearts. Whether we're in the sanctuary, in the courtyard, online right now, come and move mightily because you're wanting to take our cans and turn them into your cans. Lord, we yield to that. We open to that and we invite that. In Jesus' name, Lord, amen. What a good word. I'm, I'm fascinated. Yeah, thank you, Gary. I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by the fact that in all four of those illustrations of the four different men, including the, the first one you mentioned, it was all men. It was all men who said, I can't. You know, I don't know if there's something in particular about the male specimen of humanity uh, that that kind of basically stands up to God, you know, in some ways saying, I can't do it. Maybe, maybe there's something about women and who, who are more willing at times to say, okay, I don't know how it's going to work, but I'm in. I'm going for it. Um, I'm in. There's something maybe more responsive about women. And I've, I've seen that over the years. I mean, statistically, they tell us that even more women come to church than men do. I think men find excuses. Come on, guys. Will you, will you like, admit with me? Like, sometimes we just, like, make excuses or, or maybe there's that little bit of a machismo spirit. Like, I ain't going to do that. You're, you're wanting me to do what? And I think that even, even when Gary called for people just to stand and say, God, I need to go all in with you. I think there's some men here who need to respond to that. There's some men that need to say, it's time for me to rise. I've been making excuses why I can't do something. And God is saying today, oh no, you can. And I'm calling you to it again. 
And so just in just a moment, as we close our gathering time together, I'm going to speak first to men and say, you can do it. And God's calling you out right now. Like, you know in your spirit, there's something that is urging you forward. Well, guess what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invite you when we close to come forward and to find someone to pray with about that area that you've been struggling with where you just don't feel that you can break through. So I'm going to invite you to come. But women, you're invited as well. Any area of personal ministry that you'd like to receive today, God is available. He is here. He is for you. And he is the way maker God. Church family, you're loved. We'll see you again next week. And women on Friday night, love you.